0: Listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at LebanonBaptist.org. Doran, and I know you enjoyed hearing Caleb Sturgis, our uh, new head of our youth last uh, Sunday and so but today I am uh, have been anticipating the opportunity to jump back in and so uh, this morning we are going to uh, go right back to our series on the Lord's Prayer and so let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 6 and uh, just so you know kind of where we're at in this series uh, we have two more messages. This morning's message, which is the last verse of the prayer, and then Lord willing, next Sunday, we will look at really what I call kind of the parable after the prayer, and I will take you to the Matthew 11 uh, presentation of uh of the Lord's Prayer and we will look at what Jesus says right after the Lord's Prayer but this morning let me invite you to follow along as I lead us in reading uh the Lord's Prayer from the Matthew uh Sermon on the Mound Matthew chapter 6 I'll begin reading in verse number 9 it says this this is our Lord of course talking pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors in our text this morning, verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As we've done each week, uh, let me, I I mean, this is good because we're just repeating it, but would you say with me this morning and pray with me the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Join me as I lead us as well in prayer and continue this prayer. Father, we are amazed at the fact that you are our father. Lord, I am so thankful that I'm not an only child. I'm so thankful that you put me into a family. And Father, even as I sang with your church, our church family this morning, I'm just amazed that you have given us all these brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are here to help us to uh, walk rightly on this journey of faith, that we don't have to do this alone. Lord, uh, we, we know we're in a predicament right now. Your name is not hallowed in Roswell. You're not, your name is not hallowed in the Atlanta community, nor in Georgia, nor in the United States, nor is it totally hallowed in the world. There is still great opposition to your name. And no doubt, even as we go through the rest of this day, we will hear your name even taken in vain. But Father, our desire is that you would do what you said you were going to do, that you would hallow your name in all the world. And so, Father, we anticipate and we ask that you would set up your kingdom and that you would come and return and bring peace to this world. But until you do, Father, I ask that your will would be done in our lives that Lebanon Baptist Church would be a church that every week and every day we would strive to honor what your word says and that we would do your will because we know it's perfectly done in heaven, but we are very cognizant of the fact that it is not done so often in our own lives, in our homes. And so we ask today that it would be done. We ask that you would provide for our daily needs. We thank you that... You have already given all of us breath today. Of course, we take these breaths for granted, but Father, you have already granted by your divine hand life to us, and we would not be so prideful to think that you already provided our lunch for us. We may even have it in the oven. We may already have plans of where we're going to eat today, Father, but we understand the fact that it is from your hands that we eat. And so we ask that you would provide us our daily bread. We thank you for forgiveness, and no doubt there are people in this room, it's easy for us not to forgive others. And so we thank you that for that forgiveness as we ourselves are forgiving our citizens ourselves. of heaven while they were still in the kingdoms of men. This Lord's Prayer, it's not going to help you very much just by rehearsing it if you don't know the Lord. And maybe you're here today and you're investigating Christianity, or maybe you really have never come to know who Jesus Christ is. Before you can ever use, in many ways, the sextant, the Lord's Prayer to help you on your way home. You need to know the captain of the ship. You need to know Christ. And he is none other than the God of the universe who became man, who humbled himself and died in your place. Do you know him? If not, I hope that you will open your heart to him today. If you do know him, okay? Today we look at this final verse of the Lord's Prayer, and what this is going to do is it's going to be an extreme help to you. Look at the verse. The the one we're going to examine is verse 13. He says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay, that's that's where we're going to focus in on. Now, before we get there... It's, uh, this is a fitting conclusion to a prayer that really helps you with all of life. What have we seen so far? To review, we've learned that the Lord's Prayer is found in two spots. Okay, it's found in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and it's found in Luke. No doubt Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer throughout his ministry, but those are the two places that it's recorded. Matthew's presentation of the Lord's Prayer is a little bit more developed than Luke's presentation. In Matthew's presentation, it's found within the Sermon on the Mount. And before Jesus ever even teaches the Lord's Prayer, he teaches you how not to pray. And what we've seen is this, you ought not to pray to be seen of men. You ought not to do it hypocritically. My my son Jacob and I, on his way to baseball practice yesterday, we were discussing the Lord's Prayer together. And we were talking about how uh, it should not just be seen. I mean, and we, we kind of joked, imagine you, I said, Jacob, imagine you just walking into the youth group and just all of a sudden says, guys, I'm praying. Oh, Lord. And you just stopped everyone and you wanted everyone to see your prayers. And of course, Jacob was laughing. No, 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 you never want to do that. Does that mean you don't pray in public? And of course, we realized, no, you ought to, there's times you want to pl- pray in public, But the foundation of your praying ought to be private prayer. Enter into thy closet, and when thou shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. So don't pray to be seen of men, but we also learn, he tells tells you, don't pray like the heathens. Who think that they, they shall be heard for their much speaking. They think they can manipulate God. I'll just repeat all these phrases. And as I repeat all these phrases, then God will be inclined or feel like he has to answer me. Jesus says, don't pray like that. He says, pray like this. And then he gives this prayer, which we've called the Lord's Prayer, but actually it's the disciples' prayer. And in this prayer, we saw that you need to begin your prayer by acknowledging your part in the big family. You're not an only child. You're part of this great big family. And that's why you say, our, our father. And I've had to work on this as I've prayed this myself. Okay, of course, it's, I love the fact that as I have to preach to you and teach you this each week, God is teaching me this Every week. And I've tried to, God, as I begin my prayer, I want to think of you as I'm praying. And not just pray for my individual life. I want to pray for all of you in reference to this. And you ought to do the same. I'm part of a family father, and I have this incredible father, this gracious father. Maybe you grew up and you didn't have a father in your home, or maybe it wasn't a really great situation and and your mind has been messed up in some ways. You think your psyche's uh, off because you didn't have the right type of father. None of us had the perfect father, but if you know Christ, you do have the perfect father. And he is one who has all the resources at his disposal. And that's why you can say, our Father, the one who's in heaven, who everything you need right now, he's already provided for you in Christ, and he's given you exactly what you need for this time at such a time as this. So our Father, and you begin by acknowledging your place in the family. But then you begin to align your priorities under His. And you remember how He said there's six requests in this prayer. Three of them deal with God's priorities, and three of them talk about your priorities. And the first three, we see that His name needs to be hallowed. That's what we want, His name to be spread throughout the earth, and that His kingdom would come, and that His will would be done. And as you pray those particular requests, it helps you to recalibrate your life of why you're here. It almost gives you a target that day. Today I want to live for God's glory, for his name, for his kingdom. I want to do his will all day long. But then the prayer leads to three requests for you and me. And we ought to learn to go boldly before the throne of grace for these. And one of them was for our daily provisions That was, give us this day our daily bread. And then a few weeks ago, now a month ago, uh, we, we looked at your greatest spiritual need. You need forgiveness, and as you get forgiveness, you ought to be those who offer forgiveness to other people. So the third of these last three requests that are associated with you deals with one final request that you ought to get in a great habit of asking about, and it's this. It is a request that gets you from here to home, from here to home. It's from your conversion To his presence, how do I navigate life, my spiritual life, in the presence of sin? Every day you wake up, you know what? You live in your father's world. Remember that song? This is my father's world. I bless, I mean, I mean, how's it go? This is my father's world. I bless thee in the thought of rocks and trees, the skies and seas, that thy hand, thy wonders wrought. And you know, it falls about to come and you're gonna see him display it. We live life within our father's world and it's beautiful, it's wonderful. And every once in a while, you see uh, beautiful scenes that put that on display. But as you live in this father's world, there is something broken about it right now and it's because of the fall. We live in the midst of sin And right now, you know what you and I are? We are in a dangerous part of town. We're on a dangerous part of the hike. We are in a bad stretch of road. We are still in the presence of sin, and you know what we have to do on a continual basis? We need to go to God and ask him for his help, because all of us have the propensity to make pretty bad, or maybe I'd even expound on that even more, we are in, have the propensity to make some horrible decisions. Some of you did this past week. Some of you came in limping to church, and I hope the music and I hope the fellowship of God's people have been lifting you up in many ways, but you've come in limping, and maybe your heart is like this, God, I don't want to get involved in sin this week. I don't want to keep doing what I've done. I want to live for you. I want to do what's right. Well, this last request is for you. Because what it teaches is this. We must continually ask God for his protection from sin. Let me say that again. We must continually ask God for his protection from sin. As you navigate life from September 11th, 2022, till the day you either depart from this planet before Jesus comes or when he comes... During this period, you need help. You need His help in protecting you from falling into sin. As we look at this last request, let me point out a couple of primary, uh, just you could say, preliminary observations. And then what I'm going to do during the remainder of the sermon is just ask some key questions. Now, as you read this verse, verse 13. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. It really looks like two requests, doesn't it? And some of you are saying, Pastor Brian, if you're taking a sermon for each of the requests, then you got one extra week to do. Today you should just do lead us not to temptation, and the next week you can do deliver us from evil. Well, it's interesting, if you look at Luke's presentation, okay, when Luke gives the Lord's prayer... All he gives is this, and lead us not into temptation, and he doesn't have, but deliver us from evil. Unless, okay, and I won't go into real detail here, uh, only uh, only that first phrase is in Luke, unless you have a translation this morning that's based on the majority text. If you have a, a, let's say, a King James Version, a New King James Version, because that second phrase is not found in the oldest manuscripts of Luke. Many believe that it was added to Luke's account to harmonize with Matthew's account. Just so you know, you have the word of God, it's there. But what that does say is that that second phrase... But deliver us from evil is really aligned with the first. It's basically stating in some ways the same thing. Okay? So that's why I'm not doing two sermons on this. I'm just doing one. The second observation I want you to take or or make is this. The key, one of the key words in this request is the word temptation. You see it there? Okay. Lead us not into temptation. That word is the Greek word temptation. Perosmos. Okay, sometimes I give Greek words. I mean, a, a few weeks ago, uh, one of the ladies says, you need to share more Greek words. You haven't done it in a while. And so, here it is. Okay, this, uh, this word, perasmos, is a more general word that is sometimes translated testing and sometimes translated temptation. It's a more general word. It's a word that covers both. But oftentimes because testings lead us into, you could say a temptation, it's often translated, translated temptation. Okay. So what's happening here? Here we see that Jesus wants us to ask the Father for help in avoiding sin from here to home. And as you look at this phrase, it, it makes you ask a couple of questions. And the first question is this, what does this not say? Okay. What does this not say? And because as you're reading this, some of us have a little bit of confusion. Okay. Okay. Does this mean that God actually leads us into temptation? If we're to ask him not to do something, does that mean that he at times does lead us into temptation? And here we need to remember a key principle of interpretation, okay? You interpret sometimes unclear text by absolutely clear text. We learn about temptations in James chapter 1. I have the verse here. Many of you are familiar with this. Some of you have already been thinking about this. You're a step ahead of me. It says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And I I don't have it written here. It says, do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from what? Above. And cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. God is not one who's going to tempt you. Now, he does sometimes allow you to go into trials that can lead to temptations from Satan because your temptations come. And of course, we'll explore this a little bit more later on. But God is the one who does not tempt you. We're tempted by our own lust. It starts on our inside. Sometimes there are outside influences. But we can be certain of the fact that God isn't tempting us. It's our flesh, it's the world, and it's satanic opposition that does that. So let me just clear that up. This is not saying that God tempts you. Number two, is this request, is this a request that we would be spared from any type of testing? That we would want no testing at all? Maybe it's like this, God... I've enrolled in Christianity 101. I've become a follower of Jesus. But I'm asking, is this what he's saying? Am I asking God that he would give me no papers, no test, no quizzes, no pop quizzes? Is this where we are basically saying to God, God, can you eliminate in my life any type of test? I kind of would like to audit this Christianity thing where I'd like Christ in my life, but I don't want to have to deal with test. Now yes, that would be nice, but did you know that part of our spiritual growth and development in faith comes from God-ordained test? We need the testing of God to help grow our faith. In fact, what are we supposed to do with test? What we're supposed to do with test is we are supposed to rejoice in them. Rejoice in them. We're supposed to find strength in them. In fact, we see this, you know, in, in the story of Joseph. Joseph is put into a very difficult test. He gets sold into slavery. Remember that? He's sold into slavery. He's tempted to get involved in various types of. Uh, uh, he's tempted, you could say, to get involved in bitterness. And God has a beautiful test for him. And later, what Joseph says is You meant evil against me, but God meant this whole situation for what? For good. God is one who allows test into our lives for our good and we're supposed to rejoice in it, but Satan wants to, when God allows test to come, he wants us to be tempted to do wrong. So we see God does allow test. okay? We see that in Abraham's life. We see it in Israel's life. In fact, in John chapter 6, when Jesus is confronted with a very hungry crowd, you remember that? Remember when Jesus has the multitudes in front of them and everyone's hungry and Jesus decides that he's going to do something with his his disciples, he is going to test them. And it says this, he said this to test him, Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. God knew that he was going to feed the 5,000. But he tests his disciples and he says, you give them something to bread. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Did you catch that? God sometimes brings into our life tests to grow us in our faith. But what sometimes happens is Satan likes to capitalize on those tests likes to bring temptations in to destroy us in fact that word there in John chapter 6 where it says he said this to test him that's the very word perosmos how a perosmos can just be a test but it could also lead to a temptation So this is not a request in verse 13 of Matthew 6 for you to have no test because God leads us into difficulties for our good. And a beautiful illustration of that is Job. You know, the story of Job, God is testing Job, but what does Satan like to do? Satan likes to capitalize on God's testing and he wants to tempt Job to curse God. But of course, what does Job say? When I am tested, I shall come forth as what? As gold. So we learn that God is sovereign over all, which brings us to the real question. We already learned what this does not say. Let me talk to you about what this does say. These two requests, which I tell you are one in verse 13, work together and it's you asking God to lead you in such a way that he would not put you into situations in which you would encounter temptations that you would fail. So this is what you're doing every day as you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're asking God, God... Whatever you allow into my life, I ask that whatever happens today, that you would put me into situations, whatever trials, that you would not put me into anything, that I am going to fail and fall into sin. Uh, One of the commentators I read is a guy who was the former pastor of Rex, uh, David Doriani, and he said uh, this. He said, in reference to this prayer, he says, it asks for sovereign protection from test, one would fail. Leon Morris, another commentator, said it a little bit differently. He said this about this request. The worshiper knows his own weaknesses and in this prayer seeks to be kept far from anything that may bring him to sin. God, I am asking that you would, in all the situations in my life, that you would not put me in a situation where I would give into that sin. So these two statements, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, are a request of God for his protection to lead you in a way that you would not give into that particular sin. The final phrase of delivering from evil, in the Greek, the word has the article, the evil, but deliver us from the evil. And so there's been a kind of a debate over whether it's talking about evil in general, deliver me from the evil in general, or whether it's just leaving you A word to supply there, deliver me from the evil one. And it's referring to Satan. Now, yes, Satan is the ringleader and the author of sin. So whichever way you take it, whether you take it as evil in general, or whether you take it as the embodiment of evil, the evil one, it really doesn't change the essence of what it's saying. But it does reveal that you and I must ask God to constantly help us not to fall prey to sin. Now here, let me get into your personal life for a moment. Sadly, we're people who so often fail to ask God for his help to say no to sin on a daily basis. We are such prideful people thinking that we can live the Christian life and overcome sin on our own. I have found that as I have continued to mature as a believer, you realize more and more how big of a sinner you are. I I think I've said this a month ago and it's just been continually rehearsed in my mind. The older you get spiritually, I believe the more you understand how big of a sinner you are. And my support from that is the Apostle Paul when he says at the end of his life, I'm the chief of what? I'm the chief of sinners. And you, you begin to realize more keenly the weakness of your flesh. Part of authentic Christian living is finding yourself, what's going to happen is you will before long find yourself on the ground spiritually, having given into some sort of sin that you know you shouldn't have done. You will. Some of you, it was this week, and you came in today, as I said, not just limping, you came crawling. Maybe your tongue bites like a serpent. I mean, I saw this. I don't know why it's come to my mind now, but I saw this YouTube video of this guy feeding all his snakes rats. And how he would stick a rat. And he had like all these like six or seven pet snakes. And each one he would record just putting the rat to feed him. And each one the snake would come and then like latch at it, and it was like, wow, that happened quick. You know what happens in our life? You and I, all of a sudden, our sin like a dead rat. We're just living life and it gets put in front of us and we are so stupid and so fleshly, all of a sudden we go for it. Maybe this week it was your tongue that lashed out at your spouse Or lashed out at one of your kids and you were deeply convicted about it I'm glad you were deeply convicted about it maybe it was this your anger got out of control this week some of you you came face to face with bitterness and right now you're seething in it some of you it was indulging in pornography and you're like why did I do this Maybe it was you tasted of that forbidden sin that has been a habitual part of your life. You've tried to repent of it. You've gone back to it or you think you have. And let me just say, if you're truly a believer, okay, you will be convicted of your sin. For whom the Lord loves, he what? He chastens And when you get involved in sin, his spirit will work in you and you will be convicted of it and you will repent. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But I'll tell you this, those of you who truly have repented in the past of your sin, you will live a life of repentance. Part of your authentic Christian life is you are always repenting. Okay. None of you are going to live perfectly. You're all going to fail, but you need to repent and you need to keep doing it. And, and maybe God convicted you of that particular sin. You got it right. You get grace from God. Grace is here. And just as a reminder, I've told you this repeatedly over the last couple of months. The most basic reality of Lebanon Baptist Church is this. We're all sinners and we're all big ones. And I hope that you'll come in here And even though you've fallen into sin, you don't need to be afraid to come to church. I mean, this is the place you need to be. This is like the the rescue mission for sinners. We're all going to come in limping and hurting and repenting of our sin. But you know what it should do? It should be this. And and I think it's part of your your maturing of your spiritual life. It's this. God, I never want to do that sin again. I've tasted it. It's not good. There's no satisfaction there. It hurts. I just want to live right. I just want to do the right thing. You've seen the bitterness and anguish of sin, and you desire God's help in sanctification. I want to live from here to home, and I don't want to live in that sin anymore. I don't want to succumb to it. That's what this last request is for you. It's for you to be someone on a daily, by daily if that's a word, Okay. Repeatedly, continual basis, God, lead me not into temptations that I will fail, but deliver me from the evil one. You know what? As children grow, you know what we're always trying to do? We're trying to seek them and teach them how to live independently of us. And that's natural, but it's kind of different in God's realm, okay? We must learn the more we mature to be more dependent on him. It is with him in the center that we are truly living life properly. For in him we live and move and have our being. And you and I need him on an every moment basis. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct your path. And it's where you learn to not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is where you live your life with him, his consciousness, and realizing, I need you every moment of the day. Help me to overcome sin and live with you in the proper spot. We must learn to ask for God's help. I can't help... But think of the one who's teaching this. Okay, who's teaching this prayer? Jesus. He is the perfect God man. He was fully man and he was fully God. And in two chapters before this, in Matthew chapter four, isn't it interesting that it says this? And Jesus was led up into the wilderness. There are the words to be what of the devil? Devil. (laughs) To be tempted. And the word there, perosmos, to be tested. The father evidently was allowing the testing of the son. But the son, in dependence of the father, did not live by bread alone, but every word that came from the mouth of God. What did he do in the midst of the trial? That Satan decides to capitalize and do what with Jesus? To tempt him. What does Jesus do? Even though he was led into testing, he was not delivered over to the Holy One, which is the whole reason you and I today could sing, because he was one who perfectly fulfilled the righteousness and did everything in our behalf. And as Jesus is teaching this to them, he knew the power of the Spirit in his own life to overcome when the testings did come, say no to sin. And that's why you and I ought to learn from the master and learn how to turn from sin. And that's why Jesus said at the end of his life, you could say the end of his initial sojourn on this planet, when he's with his disciples in the garden of Gethsemane, right before he goes to the cross, you remember what he tells them in Matthew 26? He says this, he says, I want you to watch and do what? Pray. Pray. Isn't it interesting, the thing that he tells us to do in order to overcome temptation is to be watchful and to pray that you may not enter into, and the idea of enter into is give into the temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Jesus reiterates, you need to ask, you need to pray and ask for my divine help to lead you home. So that is the final request. It's for your sanctification. So if you'd say those last three requests that have to do with you, one has to do with your daily needs, your provision. The second one has to do with your spiritual needs of forgiveness. And that third one has to do with really your protection on your way home. And then how does the Lord's Prayer end? Well, traditionally, you know what we did a few minutes ago? We gave the doxology at the end of it. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Did many of you notice that it's not in Matthew's version? You say, Pastor Brian, why do we always say those words? Well, that doxology is not found necessarily in the earliest manuscripts, and that's why it's not present in the modern translations. It was probably an addition in the early church to do this. It was basically a praise to God, a response for that prayer. God, as I give this prayer, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. When we pray this, you know what it ought to lead us to? To join in the praise of him. So I end with this. We must continually ask God for his protection from sin. This is the final request. It's for your sanctification. You and I need help from here to home. And thus ends the Lord's prayer. It's a worldview that constantly reminds us of our priorities and needs. Okay, something stupid I do every day. Maybe some of you do the same thing, but every every morning when I get ready to leave the house, I do the triple pat. What's the triple pat for me? What am I checking? That one's my keys. That one, my my phone. The other one is my wallet. Keep my wallet on this side. And sometimes I put my phone here, but I do the triple pat, okay? And as I do the triple pat, I know I'm like ready for the day. I got my communication going. I got my resources, got my resources, my, all my credit cards, cash, if I carry cash. Uh, and of course, I got my transportation, okay? That gets me ready for the day. That's a good thing to do. I mean, I I find myself doing it oftentimes, even like when I'm leaving the office and stuff like that. It gets me prepared physically. Let me tell you what the Lord's Prayer should do for you. Okay. It's almost like six pats. (laughs) Okay. And by the way, I was thinking about this. Girls, it may be a little bit different. You may have four pats or just lipstick. Maybe that's the other one. Okay. But... Whatever it may be, I don't know what the other ones are, but I I should have asked Jen. Uh, um. (laughs) But you know what the Lord's Prayer is? It's this. Every day, continually, I am checking myself, and I am, I want to check this. I want to be in line with this. I want to be in line with this. I want to be in line with this. And you know what that does? It helps me to live my life for the glory of God. But let me take it one step further we are people who will just get into just the six little pats and say, okay, I'm just going to pray those. And we are so so often prone to be people who are just so ritualistic. I'm just going to do those and we just go that way. You know what those six things really are? It's your reminder every day that you need God. I need Him. I need Him every day. I need Him in all these areas. And it's teaching you To live with him. That's what you were created to do. You were created to live in a deep relationship with God all the time. In the garden, they were walking with God in the cool of the day. You were created to live that way. And why does Jesus give you the Lord's Prayer? It's a gift for you. To teach you to live in relationship with him. May God help you to do this. Now, I'm not done yet with the Lord's Prayer. I got Jesus decides to give a little story at the end of his presentation in Luke 11. And so we're going to look at that next week. So come back and let's finish it up together. Let's pray. May God help you to do this. Now, I'm not done yet with the Lord's Prayer. I got Jesus decides to give a little story at the end of his presentation in Luke 11. And so we're going to look at that next week. So come back and let's finish it up together. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's Word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit lebanonbaptist.org.